Christ according to St. John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Reading in John's Gospel, the 11th chapter. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, in the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. The, Lord's, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Jesus, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Rise, let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to Jesus. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again and came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, 
By this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. Rod Serling's iconic TV series, The Twilight Zone, premiered on my first, fifth birthday. And my Friday nights from that first one for many years following were spent at home usually with a swan's TV dinner or a chicken pot pie. Can I insert a cultural highlight this morning, if I will, since we're in a rather unique cultural situation anyway? You know, they were called TV dinners. And they were eaten on a TV tray in front of the TV. Well, I digress. I, I love and loved the TV series, The Twilight Zone. It was always challenging the accepted reality, and instead it was taking you to a new, totally different dimension. Sometimes frightening, sometimes uncertain, sometimes perilous. It was always in your imagination, or so he would say. Listen again to his opening intro to season one. He writes, says, there's a fifth dimension Beyond that which is known to man, it is a dimension as fast as space and as timeless as infinity. It's in the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It's an area which we call the twilight zone. It lies between the pit of a man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. My sense is that lots of us can relate to his words as we continue to journey through this rather unique season, which really doesn't even adequately describe it, does it? Unique. It's a, a season we live in with this coronavirus pandemic. But isn't it awesome how many times we discover that our liturgy, 
timelessly speaks a powerful word to our present circumstances. The familiar words of the colic appointed for the fifth Sunday of the season of Lent. You may have forgotten we're still in the season of Lent. Come to think of it, you know, I'm the, I'm the only guy or one of the only guys who always promotes giving up stuff for Lent. Wow, what a Lent this is. Think of all the things you've given up. But listen to this morning's colic. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of this world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. How did they know? Among the swift and varied changes of this world, pretty much an understatement for the past couple of weeks, and looks like that will continue for a while. And one of those swift and varied changes, of course, is occurring right here this morning with us. I said more than once this week, I look forward to you seeing me this morning, because of course, I'm not seeing you. I've picked up from some of you this stay-at-home stuff isn't quite so hard. I read a tweet from a guy who uh, said the following. He says, don't think of me as an extreme, lifelong introvert. Instead, think of me as a highly qualified quarantine consultant. Well, this extrovert has not found this easy. I miss being with you. And truth be told, we are meant to be together with each other here this morning, worshiping the Lord. I first thought about being in the twilight zone last Sunday morning when I got up early like I do every Sunday, and I came over to the church. At first, it all felt quite normal. I was all alone. I opened up the ministry center, then the church, and turned on the lights and the sound system. But soon, as the time grew near to 8 a.m., I was still totally alone and the reality of our current season became more and more real at the time the small group of us had gathered to lead our service online I, I vested and walked over to the church with father Kendall as I have for the past 28 years except this morning and that morning there was no children's noise heading out from the megazone no teaching no teenagers sitting around the table in the library waiting for a crosswalk to begin. No one in the bell tower or the door to greet me. None of the men to gather and pray for me. So I very much related to our Old Testament lesson this morning, especially when the Lord told Ezekiel, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. We are indeed cut off. My Matthew sent me a text this week highlighting Paul's words to the Thessalonians in his first letter to them in the second chapter where he writes longingly to the Thessalonians. He says, but since we were torn apart from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Yes, that, that captures it for me this morning. We have been cut off. We've been torn away. 
but only for a short time. And don't miss how he notes, uh, we're not separated in heart, and neither are we. It probably won't surprise you to hear that the whole issue of not having church and gathering together in a, in a church building on Sunday morning, physically together, has stirred much debate. I saw a pastor from a church in Minneapolis who said, my church stays open, period. And in his sermon, he went on to say that he has lots of keys to the church, to the school, to his office, to all parts of the building. And he said, they can come and pry them out of my cold, dead coronavirus hands. This is obviously not my sentiment. I also listened to Dr. Al Moeller, the president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, the seminary Alley graduated from. And in his podcast, he addresses this issue as well. He says, let's go back to an answer we would give to the question of not having church services in the church before the coronavirus crisis. He writes, any answer I would give, and one that I've given repeatedly, is that YouTube is a lousy place to go to church, which is to say there is no electronic, digital, social media replacement for what Christ intends by calling his church to gather together. The exhortation, the command that we find in Hebrews 10, not to neglect the assembling of ourselves together. Moeller highlighted Hebrews 10, verse 25, which was also our New Testament reading for this morning. And it's in a section of that letter to the Hebrews that's described by the ESV in its little heading there as the full assurance of faith. And let us, not cons let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He writes, by the time of the emergence of the Christian church, it's very clear that the Christian church was a gathered assembly. The assemblies gathered themselves together city by city, and they gathered themselves together. In Matthew 18, 20, reminded, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. And we know that the first day of the week Christians renamed is the Lord's Day. And as we read in Acts 27, on the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. The most important New Testament word describing the church in Greek is ekklesia, which means called out, called out from the world, called into something, called to someone, called into Christ, into the body of Christ, and called to assembly and worship and fellowship as the church gathered together. Now, I suspect this isn't any new information for you all this morning. And I've heard many of us agree with Father Kendall's sentiments last Sunday when he said that that we take this gift of worship together for granted and how much we look forward to our first Sunday back together in the church. And I was particularly struck by the word the Lord gave to him last Sunday as he preached to us. He said, we're being asked to be a part to learn to be together. We're being asked to be a part to learn to be together. Well, I've been really considering this passage from Hebrews. Isn't it interesting that this heading of the section is the assurance of faith? The way we often cite it is in reference to church attendance. You might have expected that heading to be, don't miss church. Well, now here's something I discovered this week about 
this passage, which it really caused me to stop and think about it. You see, this very section of the letter to the Hebrews is the assigned New Testament reading every single Good Friday. Think about it. It really hit me as I've been preparing for this morning. I look again at the verses leading up to that one verse that might qualify as don't miss church and not neglecting together. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast our confession of hope without wavering. There is the message for us this morning. And that's what we read each Good Friday. Let me put it in context. The night before he died, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And it was there where Jewish, Judas came with a great crowd of, with swords and clubs to come and arrest Jesus. And Jesus confronts them and says, If you come out against a robber and swords and clubs to capture me, when day after day there I was in the temple teaching. He says, but that's all taken place for the scriptures might be fulfilled. And Matthew goes on at the end of verse 56 and says, Then all the disciples left him and fled. We read this at the conclusion of our Maundy Thursday service each year. And each time I hear it, it pierces to the very heart of mine. Then all the disciples left and fled. Are you seeing a picture that the church, in its wisdom, doesn't want us to miss? Jesus is betrayed and led to the cross, will be crucified, and there on the cross he will die alone, separated from God and from his disciples who have fled and left him. And each Good Friday we remember this. We read this lesson from the Hebrews, which says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, I think we're being asked to be a part to learn how important and valuable it is to be together. Because Jesus experienced that on the cross for us, total separation from us, from his heavenly Father, so that we wouldn't have to. Yes, it feels a bit like the twilight zone these days, doesn't it? But I believe God's trying to get our attention. Get our attention in two particular areas. First, to remember what the main thing is. Have you noticed that because of the way things are, that people are more open about the good news of Jesus? This twilight zone season we're in has people wondering, is this all there is? Is my stuff all I have? People are hungry for some good news and they're seeing how everything that we typically rely on we no longer have or it's seriously been shaken. Our health, our wealth, our entertainment, our luxury, bars, nightclubs, movie events, gatherings, sporting events, all gone. One archbishop has said that it's like God is saying you put 
put your trust in all of these, and now they're all gone. God is reminding us of how vulnerable we are, how easy it is for us to be drawn away into some other priority, but to now learn how much we need him. He's letting us experience just how much we are not in control and that he is and how much we need him. Secondly, something else that seems pretty clear is how much we need each other. From realizing what it's going to be like when we get back together to hearing the stories of families and loved ones who have forced to been separated in this season because of the virus. We ache and we hurt for them because we know it's not supposed to be like that. Looking through a, a window at a loved one, holding your hand up against the pane of glass for your child so that you won't run the risk of infecting them. Waving as a car drives by in a procession from a wedding ceremony. Or simply dropping off a loved one at the hospital at the door and not being able to be with them. We take meeting together for granted, don't we, sometimes? And we take each other for granted too often as well, don't we? It's really interesting to stop and realize that just in our own CSP family, through our efforts with Zoom meetings like those that will follow this service this morning, and through phone calls and checking up with each other and staying on Facebook uh, probably entirely too much. We're more interconnected right now, person to person, than maybe we were three weeks ago. One of the significant changes that occurred since we started using our ACNA Book of Common Prayer is that the summary of law is now always read every Sunday, just as it was this morning. Hear what our Lord Jesus says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So this isn't the twilight zone, but maybe we are moving into a new dimension, one of a deeper love for the Lord and for one another. It's pretty clear we have another week or probably more of living this new dimension physically, but not in heart. So let me challenge you this week as we go about our way into our own little isolation part of the world. How this week could you take more advantage of that time you now have to listen to God? To spend more time in prayer, to more time reading his word? And how could you love your neighbor as you love yourself in this new environment? And how together may we make both of those a reality when we return to worship together? Let me pray. Oh, Father, in this season that feels quite a bit like the Twilight Zone, I thank you for the powerful reminder of our need of you and our need of each other. I pray that you would open the door to our hearts to you and to one another.
And may the new dimension that we are living into become a reality of love for you and love for our neighbor. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.